Well, about a year ago, I decided that, that I needed to get in better shape. And I wasn't in terrible shape, but I wasn't in great shape. And I'm at that stage of life. I'm in my, my late 30s now. My body's starting to creak a little bit more than it used to. It's, it's starting to moan a little bit more than it once did. It, it's starting to feel a little stiffer when I get out of bed, a little harder to get things moving. And I just thought, you know, I want to kind of fight against this a little bit. I want to put it off as long as I possibly can. So I'm going to try to get in better shape. And so I, I needed a goal. I'm a person who, you know, when it comes to exercise, if I don't have something in front of me, then there's no way I'm just going to wake up in the morning and decide, hey, I should go exercise today. I need a goal. I need something in front of me that's going to keep me motivated, keep me moving forward. And I decided that I wanted to run. And so I had a couple of options of a goal. I had been running a little bit before, and a 10K, I was kind of like, I could, I could do that. That's not too much of a stretch. I want something that's going to stretch me a little bit more than that. And so I figured I had two options. I could run a marathon, or I could run a half marathon. Now here's my thinking. I figure, okay, if I set out to run a marathon, and I get halfway through, and I quit, then it's a failure. But if I set out to run a half marathon and complete it, then it's a tremendous success, right? So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest either. I figured that makes sense to me. So I decided that I was going to run a half marathon. So I set out a training schedule. You know, this is kind of what I'm going to do. This is the, these are the runs I need to do each week. I went online. They have all the stuff laid out there for you. I needed to find the right weekend that worked with my schedule. So I went online. There's a website. It told me all the half marathons in the Twin Cities area. And I found one in a place called Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And that fit my schedule. It's about an hour south of the city. It's not that big a deal. So I decided, okay, I'm going to run that marathon, and I, that half marathon, and I wanted to get some information about it, so I went on their website, and, and they described the course. And the description of the course was, it's a beautiful run through the Minnesota fall colors, right, along the, the Minnesota River, in a mixture of flat land and gently rolling hills, okay? <laughs> you know where this is going. So the race day shows up, I drive down to Belle Plaine, I drive into town, I get registered, I'm ready to go, the race starts, I'm running, the first mile is around the city, uh, the, the little town there, so no big deal, that's good, you're feeling good, it's the first mile, of course you're feeling good. The second mile, still flat, not a problem whatsoever. The third mile then, you hit this long decline down into the Minnesota River Valley. And I am just running, I'm checking my pace, I'm way ahead of the pace that I thought I would be ahead of. I'm cruising, and I'm thinking, man, this is awesome, is it too late for me to get registered for the Olympics next year? I mean, <laughs> this is amazing, I'm doing phenomenal. Of course, what I should have been thinking was, uh-oh, long downhills usually have a correspondence. Long uphills, right? So I get down, and I get down to the river, and I cross the bridge, I come around the corner, and there in front of me is Mount Everest. <laughs> it would have made more sense for me to have ropes and picks than running shoes to get up what was in front of me here. And I look at this thing, and my first thought is, there is nothing gentle, and there is nothing rolling about that. That is not gentle, nor is it rolling at all. That is steep. So I start to trudge up this thing. And what I discovered was there's a mountain range in Minnesota. I did not know that 
but this course found the one mountain range in all of Minnesota. And I'm thinking to myself, this is false advertising as I'm running. This is not gentle. This is not rolling. This is not a mix. They found this strange geographical anomaly where you go up and then slightly down and then way up and then slightly down and then way up. And that's just kind of all the hills where it seemed like all the time I was going uphill. So at one point during the race, I'm running alongside a guy and I'm going, man, this is a brutal course. And he says to me, yeah. And I said, have you run it before? He said, yeah, I have. And we're running along. It's about mile nine. And he says, man, but wait till the last two miles. <laughs> I was like, what? Why? It's uphill. It's steep. Are you serious? <laughs> What has this all been up till now, right? This is the warm-up, I guess. So I made it. The last two miles were brutal. I made it up the hill. And I got to the end. I just wanted to finish. I knew my kids were going to be at the end. My wife was going to be. I didn't want them to see me stretchered across the finish line. I wanted, to, I wanted to make it. So I made it. I got to the end. And my thought was, yes, I finished. And my second thought was, they lied to me. Those people lied to me. They deceived me. They said it was flat and there were gentle rolling hills. Even the name of the town, Bell Plain, right? Plain. Let me read you the definition of plain. An area of land not significantly higher than adjacent areas and with minor differences in elevation. Don't name your town Bell Plain if it's not on a plain, which it clearly wasn't. I felt deceived by these people. I felt this was false advertising. They suckered me into running their race. Now, this deception didn't cost me a bunch. You know, I was sore for a few days. I, I didn't reach my time goals. My pride was a little bit bruised. You know, they set you out in flights where, where you can win your, your age group. Well, there was one age group that I would have won with my time, and that was the women aged 70 to 79. <laughs> so, not exactly something that I'm proud of. <laughs> Have you ever felt deceived? Have you ever been in a place in your life where, where you have been led astray by somebody? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you feel like somebody has misled you? You know, as I said, for me, running the race, it's fairly harmless at the end of the day. It was a tougher course than I set out to run, but at the end of the day, big deal. But for some of us, we have had deceptions in our lives that are a big deal. We've had people in our lives who have done things to us, who have misled us, maybe a business partner, someone that you trusted, who did something in your business practice that misled you and that deceived you and that cost you a lot maybe cost you financially, maybe cost you in terms of your reputation, cost you with clients, maybe in a, in a relationship with a spouse, somebody who spoke words of promise to you, but those words of promise didn't bear out. And in fact, your spouse had been deceiving you over time, maybe over a long period of time. And that deception, those kinds of deceptions, those cut us deeply. Those are the kinds of deceptions that hurt us, that cause us significant pain, more than just sore legs for a few days and maybe a bruised ego. These are things that cause us deep hurt in our very soul, maybe keep us from trusting 
and wondering about people and wondering what is true and, and what is not true. We live in a world that is filled with deception. We live in a world very much that is built on deception. It's built on false appearances. And so the fact that we run into times in our lives when we feel deceived is not a surprise. It's, it's part of the, the world that we live in as a fallen, broken world. Of course, deception is not uncommon in Scripture. We see story after story after story in Scripture of, of deceptions. And we shouldn't be surprised, again, because the Bible describes this world as being under the influence of one who is the father of lies, one who is the father of deception. And I understand that you've been going through this series on spiritual warfare and thinking about ways that that Satan is at work to attack and to deceive And so when you look at the title of my message this morning, The Deceiver, you may think, well, we must be talking about Satan together this morning. Well, we're not. This morning, we're going to be talking about God. Have you ever felt like you were deceived by God? Have you ever felt that you've been led astray by God? Have you ever felt that God promised you something, but he didn't deliver? He didn't come through. And you felt deceived. You felt misled. You felt like you couldn't trust him. You struggled with what to do with this because you know in your heart and in your mind, you know theologically, God's the God of truth. There is no falsehood in him. And yet in our experience, there are times in our lives where we wrestle with God. What are you doing? You led me down this path and it didn't turn out as I thought it was going to. I trusted you. I believed you. And this is where it's taken me. Have you ever felt like God was the deceiver? Well, if you have, you're not alone. We're going to come this morning to a character in Scripture who feels deceived by God. And the person that we're looking at this morning isn't some minor bit character in the Scriptures, not somebody who kind of appears for a moment in the story of Scripture and and says, God, you're a deceiver, and then is kind of shouted down and and run off the pages of Scripture as, as soon as he appeared there. No, we're not talking about some minor character this morning. We're going to be talking about Jeremiah. You know Jeremiah, of course, right? Jeremiah was a prophet. Yes, not a bullfrog, a prophet. (laughs) He was a bullfrog later, but he was a prophet originally. Yeah, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's the prophet of God, right? He's one who's been called by God, specially commissioned by God to go and to speak the truth, to go and to proclaim God's truth which if you read the the story of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, you know that he does this. He does this with faithfulness. He does this with fidelity to God. He he says when he's called by God in Jeremiah 1, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. But once he's called, then he goes and he proclaims God's word to God's people. And what does it get him? What does it get Jeremiah? Fame, right? Fortune. It gets him a good name among all the people, right? Because they want to hear God's truth, right? 
They're, they're grateful to, to God for sending them Jeremiah to, to show them the error of their ways, right? Wrong. It doesn't get Jeremiah any of these things. What it gets Jeremiah is pain. What it gets Jeremiah is hurt. What it gets Jeremiah is a place in life where he is wrestling, struggling deeply in his soul with God because everything that he says is negative. And every time he speaks, he gets mocked and insulted and shouted down. And he comes to this place in his life and he does not know what to do with this. And what it gets Jeremiah is a sense deep down in his soul that he's been fooled, that he's been misled. And so he accuses God of this in Jeremiah chapter 20. And what I want to do is open up Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 18 this morning to look at Jeremiah's soul, really to hear from Jeremiah to, to hear him wrestling with God, and not just to learn about Jeremiah's soul, but Lord willing to learn maybe about our own souls, maybe about some of the wrestling that we have in our own souls when we come to these places in life where we're just not sure what it is that God is up to. And worse than that, when maybe we feel that God is actually deceiving us, misleading us. So let's open up Jeremiah chapter 20. As I said, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 18. I'm going to start by reading verses 7 to 10. This is the initial complaint of Jeremiah. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived you overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, Then uh, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Now, I get the impression that Jeremiah is not very happy with where God has led him. I get the impression that Jeremiah is not very pleased with how his life as a prophet of God, as a friend of God, is turning out. I get the impression that Jeremiah is unhappy. And there's a reason why. 
Because as Jeremiah says in this passage, every time I speak, people mock me, people betray me, people are looking for me to fall. He, he says in there in verse 10, even my friends, the people who are supposed to be on my side, they are waiting for me to slip. They are waiting for me to fall. Everybody is set out against me. Nobody is for me here. And Jeremiah is at this place in his life where he's deeply, deeply wrestling with this struggle that he has, where he's being mocked and berated and insulted, and people are rooting for his failure. And in verse 9, we see Jeremiah makes a decision. He says, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this, so what I'm going to do is no longer speak the word of God. Right? In verse 9, he, he says, I'm not going to speak God's word anymore. If I say... I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. Then he goes on to say, but his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He can't even do that. Right? He doesn't want to speak God's word, but, but he can't even hold it in. It just becomes too much for him. And so he, he has to proclaim what God has told him to proclaim. But then he knows what that's going to get him. More derision. More mockery more insults, more pain, more hurt. And this stems from Jeremiah's statement in verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You deceived me, Lord. Now we can kind of unpack this theologically and raise the question whether Jeremiah is correct about whether God deceives him or not. We can talk about whether or not God actually does this kind of thing. That, that doesn't seem to be what Jeremiah is most concerned about in Jeremiah chapter 20, kind of unpacking it theologically. What Jeremiah is concerned about in Jeremiah chapter 20 is saying what is in his soul, is offering the complaint that he has to offer God, as uncomfortable as these words are. And maybe they're very uncomfortable for us to hear because we in our minds might think, no, God doesn't deceive, right? He's the God of truth. Well, that's not the question at this point that Jeremiah is wrestling with. He will affirm that, of course, but that's not what he's wrestling with here. What he's wrestling with here is what he feels deep in his soul and what he feels deep in his soul is that he has been deceived by God, and he says it. One commenter on this passage said, the language that Jeremiah uses here verges on the blasphemous. I don't know if verges is the right word. It's pretty close if it's not. But what Jeremiah is saying is, God, what are you doing? God, why have you called me to this? God, why have you deceived me? Why have you led me down this path? And so Jeremiah feels deceived. He feels used by God. He's in pain and there is confusion in his life. And so Jeremiah opens up his soul to offer a complaint to God. Now, of course, this isn't the only place in Scripture where we see somebody offering complaint to God. We see this 
over and over again in the Psalms. We see Psalms of lament, Psalms of complaint, where the psalmist will, will open up about what the, the, the psalmist is concerned about and, and, and will unload on God the problems that the psalmist perceives and, and the desire for God to do something. And if you go past the, the book of Jeremiah to the next book in the scriptures, Lamentations, it's, it's another collection of Jeremiah's laments continuing his lament over what has happened to his people, and there are complaints to God mixed in with that. But I find something very unusual going on here in Jeremiah chapter 20. I think this is an unusual glimpse into the soul of a human being who is at a place in life where they are seeking to serve God, where they've been called by God into his service, and it is not going the way that they want it to go. And in fact, worse than that, it feels to this person like God is actually actively deceiving. It's uncomfortable. As I've been reading through this passage, it's, it's made me uncomfortable listening to Jeremiah's words struggling with Jeremiah's words. Can you really say to God, God, you deceived me? Would I ever have the courage if I felt that to say that? Well, Jeremiah does. And it's important, I think, for us to pay attention to this glimpse that we get into Jeremiah's soul, to pay attention to this insight that we get into the prophet of God's soul and his wrestling before God. Not just, though, to learn about Jeremiah, but to learn about ourselves. Perhaps for you, as you hear these words, though there is maybe some, some discomfort with hearing them, perhaps these words echo a little bit in your own soul. Perhaps these words resemble words that, that you've been thinking or you were at some place in your life and, and you were thinking these, but, but maybe you didn't know if you could say these kinds of things to God. You didn't know if you should say these kinds of things to God. But perhaps you've been bottling up some complaint that you have against God. Perhaps you've been bottling up a feeling that, that God has been deceiving you, that God has been misleading you, that, that he's taken you to a place in your life that, that you don't want to, to be at. And you're not sure what to do with that. You thought you were following God. You thought God was going to lead you down paths of righteousness and truth. And you find yourself in a place where it sure feels like God has led you somewhere and abandoned you. Or led you somewhere and deceived you. And the promises that he made to you, you're not experiencing the fruit of those promises. And so maybe this morning as we open up Jeremiah chapter 20, there's some out here this morning who find this passage echoing in your soul. We're going to come back to the state of our own souls in a minute, but I want to, I want to move forward with, with Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapter 20. So he's offered this complaint and he has said, God, you deceived me and I was deceived. What we find next, as we turn in Jeremiah chapter 20, is a shift. A shift from complaint to praise. 
And we see this kind of a pattern often again back in the Psalms, in these Psalms of lament, where there are complaints that are offered to God, and yet oftentimes those complaints end, those Psalms end with the psalmist saying something to the effect of, and yet I will praise you. Affirming God, affirming God's truth, affirming who God is. And we turn to Jeremiah chapter 20, and we see a similar kind of pattern here as we look at verses 11 to 13. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fall and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you examine the righteous and probe the hearts and minds. Let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And so we see this pattern, complaint and then praise. I love this pattern. This pattern has served me well in life. The first time I remember somebody pointing it out to me in scripture was my dad when I was in college. I was dating a young lady when I was in college and I was, I was deeply smitten with this young lady and I thought this might be the one. Well, she thought otherwise and let me know that she was not in fact the one and that caused me a great deal of pain. And my dad wrote me a letter as I was at this point in my life of struggling with this pain, of, of losing this person that I care deeply about. And he wrote and, and he said, look up these psalms. And he gave me a number of psalms. And he said, look at this pattern. It's the pattern of complaint. You need to complain. You need to say what you need to say. But then always praise God. Always praise him. And we see this in Jeremiah. We've read complaint, and now we see praise. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So if we stopped here in Jeremiah chapter 20, we would see this nice pattern. Complaint, praise, wrapped up in a nice little bow. Right? Jeremiah gets his complaint out, and then he praises God, and then everything's fine, right? We're not done with Jeremiah 20, are we? There's still more to go. And what comes next isn't a pretty little bow. Let's read Jeremiah 20, verses 14 to 18. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Not a pretty bow wrapped up on the complaint. There is more complaint. There is, there is here despair. Why was I ever born? Jeremiah just starts cursing, right? Curse the day I was born. I mean, the poor guy who delivered Jeremiah. 
I mean, this guy's got it bad. He's being cursed left and right. Why didn't you kill me? Why did you bring this good news to my dad? Cursed be the day that I was born and cursed be the guy who did it. He just starts cursing everybody all over the place. Why was I ever born to live the life that God has called me to live and to end my days, as he says here, in shame? This doesn't wrap up nicely. I like the complaint praise pattern. That for me is good because I get that we need to complain, but then we're supposed to end with praise and, and that wraps it all up, right? That, that's kind of the, the way that I feel we should do it. But Jeremiah forces me to ask if that's the only pattern that we have when it comes to offering our complaint about God and, and when we feel that God is doing something that we don't like or that we don't get where we actually feel like maybe God is deceiving us. He offers us a different pattern. There's no nice little bow of praise at the end of Jeremiah chapter 20. There is praise. There is affirmation of who God is. And Jeremiah does call us to sing to the Lord. There is praise, but it's not at the end, wrapping up everything cleanly. For Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, there is praise, but it's not at the end. It's in the middle. It's in the midst of the complaint. The, the, the pattern doesn't go complaint, praise, period. It goes complaint, comma, praise, comma, complaint. And I find in, in my life with God that this pattern many times is much more consistent with my experience of my wrestling with God, of my wrestling with what God is doing. The praise doesn't end the complaint. It doesn't fix the confusion for Jeremiah but it emerges in the midst of the complaint. And Jeremiah affirms God and at the same time can still offer complaint to him. And what I want to do as we close our time together this morning is just take a, a few things from this and maybe encourage you to think about this pattern that Jeremiah offers us in, in Jeremiah chapter 20 as you struggle with God, as you wrestle with God, to think about what this does for us in our life with God. If you're in a place of complaint this morning, if you're in a place of, of wrestling this morning, I think God has something particular to say to you about how you can be dealing with him in this time, about how you can be coming before him in this time, in this period in your life. If, if you're in a place where you feel even that God is deceiving you, that you can still come to him with complaint and, and deal with him as you ought, but also to come to him with praise in the middle. So what does Jeremiah have to teach us about traversing these, these difficult times in our lives when we're struggling with God? Well, you see there in the, in the bottom of your notes, there's, there's three things that I think we can learn from this. The first is very simply, complain. Say what you need to say to God. 
Say what you need to say. Of course, as I said, we see this pattern in the Psalms. We see this here. We see this in other places. Say what you need to say. So offer your complaint. Expose to God your soul. Then the second thing, don't apologize. Do you see any apologies in Jeremiah for what he's saying? I don't see any apologies. I don't see him saying to God, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said that. I, I didn't really mean it. I think Jeremiah really means it. This is the state of his soul, and he's expressing it to God, and he's doing it without apology. He's not saying, God, I know I probably shouldn't say something like that. I know this doesn't feel quite right. He just says what he needs to say. So he complains without apology, but then what we see is he praises in the midst of the complaint. He offers praise to God. He affirms who God is. Because as deceived as Jeremiah feels, he knows the truth about God. He knows the truth about God's word. He knows that what he is being forced to say, this, this word that he can't bottle up, that what is coming out, he knows that it is true because it comes from the one who is himself truth. And so Jeremiah, in the midst of his struggle and in the midst of his complaint, he offers praise to God. And as I said, for me, in my wrestling with God, the last six months for me has been a struggle for a number of different reasons. I've been really wrestling with God for the last six months. And as I've been going to Jeremiah chapter 20 in this time, God's been teaching me this pattern. Complain, but praise in the midst. Don't wait for everything to clear up and then praise me. Don't expect that this is just going to kind of come all together in a nice little bow. It may not. The struggle may go on for some time, but affirm who I am. We affirm that God is the God of truth. We affirm that God is the God of hope. We affirm that God is the deliverer. And though that delivery may seem like it's long in coming, we know that through Jesus Christ, the ultimate delivery has come. And though we walk difficult paths and we struggle in this life, we know that there will be the day when we will do nothing but praise God. And we affirm that now, even in the midst of our struggles. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We recognize, God, that there, is, there are times in our lives where we wrestle with what you're doing, with, with who you are, with how you're, you're treating us, with how you're calling us, with the things that you're putting in front of us. We wrestle with those things. And, and yet, God, we, we thank you for the example of Jeremiah, your servant, who though he felt deceived by you and, and, and struggled with you and was hurting in his life, yet in the midst of that, he offered praise. And so, God, we offer you praise, for you are the one the only true God who is true. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.